So let's, there's a slide I want to start with. And maybe some of you have seen this picture before. It goes along the lines. Matter of fact, I think there's only one more week. One more week I'm going to be wearing this t-shirt to church for I Love My Church series. It says this, in case you can't read it. It says, saying I love Jesus, but not the church, is saying I love Jesus, but not what Jesus loves. And that's what we've been talking about a lot over the last um, four weeks, uh, five weeks, talking about um, Jesus loving his church, wearing these same red shirts around that say, I love my church, and I'm hoping you're wearing them out into the community and uh, doing that. And, and just so you know, I don't intend on wearing this church e- shirt every Sunday to church, that when this series is done, um, it'll be, I'll, I will wear it in the community, but probably not on Sunday mornings anymore. But we're learning about this. I love my church. And under, interestingly, there's a growing group of people. It's always been large, but very growing group of people in America today who, who do say this. They say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And I think, I think there's two reasons. I think part of the reasons, first of all, I just really think it's selfishness and offensiveness that something didn't go their way and uh, they couldn't understand that they're in a group of hundreds, sometimes thousands, and, and uh, things have to be done for the greater good. Um, that's sometimes what it is. Um, but also it's because some churches do some really dumb things. You know that churches are run by people? Did you know? Did you, wait a second. Did you know that pastors are people? Some people don't know that. Did you know that, Tony? Pastors are people, and anybody who works at a church or is a leader in a church, did you know, who do we have in Deacons are people. Did you know that? Did you know that? Where are, where's, uh, um, I'm looking for Kevin. There he is. Kevin, you're a person, right? You're people. So churches are people, so sometimes churches do things that hurt people. But the sad thing is, the group of people who say, I love, the, I love Jesus, but don't love the church, is exploding in America. Barna says it's like 50% of all people who say they're Christians don't go to church anymore. The problem with that is you don't grow and become the person you're supposed to become, and also you're not used the way you're supposed to be used um, to help the kingdom of God uh, accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. And so if you've got friends who are in that, they call them the nons, non-attenders, if they're a non, you know what? Invite them to come to church. Let them know that support is a safe place. And they, they can come here and that you can say with me, I love my church. My church? I was going to show my shirt. I love my church um, because we are collectively the bride of Christ. He loves us so much he calls us his bride. So we have been over these weeks. Um, we love our church. What we're finding is we love our church because it's the place where God unites with us to accomplish his purposes to accomplish those things that are eternally significant and are also blessings for each of us. Our lives, we're finding, are better because we partner together with God in accomplishing his purposes in our lives and in the world. So again, today, we're going to look at another one of the reasons why we love our church. Right? So, let's turn our attention to the fourth of God's purposes for his church and it's this, it's growing. So we've been, we have this, this illustration, this graphic to help us understand the five purposes of the church that together create this heart, this loving, this place where we are people who care. We create this heart. And today we want to focus on that one corner of it, the one piece called growing. And remember, for a church to be healthy or for you to be healthy and complete, all the pieces have to be connected together. And so each week we separate one out and say, this is what it is, but then we connect it back together because when we are doing all of these things, 
we become the healthy church we're supposed to become. And I think I said this a few weeks ago. Somebody said to me, Pastor, I just love how we're, how we're doing as a church. I just love the, they're like, I've been here for a long time, and it's just healthy, and it's strong, and people are happy, and people are coming to Christ, and they're growing in their faith. And I, they said, you know, you know, why? And I said, why? Just because of that. Because we're simply following God's plan for what the church is supposed to be. And so today we're going to look at, at this idea of growing. And we call it this way. We say growing. What we're referring to is this. Growing in Christ-likeness. Growing in Christ-likeness. We call that also discipleship. But growing in Christ-likeness. I want you to do something with me. I want you to engage your, your right brain with me this morning. And I want you to, to imagine something with me. For some of us, that's really hard. Some of you artsy guys, you know, you, you guitar players and drummers and stuff, your right brain, you get that. Guys like me, our right brains are almost atrophied. You know, <laughs> we're all about details, facts. How do we get it done? Process, plans. And so I want those of us who are the uh, that kind of guy, the left brain people, to engage your right brain today. And I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine a day in the life of your life. Let's say this. It's 5 o'clock on any night of the week. Maybe it's a Tuesday. It's evening. It's 5 o'clock. You've just completed a hard day at work doing whatever you do. And it was one of those days. Anything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. You 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 dragged yourself out of the job site. You got in your car. You are on your way home. You're tired and you're spent. But you know this. Your day is not over. Your day is not over. Matter of fact, you've got to stop even before you get home. You have been the one selected You could be the husband, you could be the wife, you might even be the older teenager. You've been selected to stop at the grocery store and pick up something for dinner. You know, because your equally busy and tired family needs to eat before they go on with their evenings. And they need to eat in a hurry because there are meetings to attend, activities, maybe it's Wednesday, so there's church, there's homework, and that must be done Tonight, all of those different things. In fact, you need to leave the house. It's five. You need to leave the house by 6 p.m. to make it to your next thing on your calendar. So you stop at Walmart, of all places. You stop at Walmart to pick up what you need for dinner. And you go into the deli section, and you grab some pre-cooked chicken from the deli. It could either be one of those rotisserie chickens or the fried chicken. You grab some pre-cooked chicken and some potato wedges. And you look at that with the pre-cooked chicken and potato wedges, you go, this is not very healthy. So on the way through out of the deli section, you grab a bag of grapes. Because that makes you feel like at least now the meal is somewhat healthy. So you grab the grapes from the produce section, you head out down looking for a checkout line. But it's 5 o'clock, and everybody else in the world is in the exact same situation they're in. You're in. They're in a hurry. They've got to get somewhere else. And all the lines are full. So you pick a line, which you have a history of always picking the wrong line. I am the worst line picker in the history of checkout. I always pick the wrong line. There's always the person in front of me has something that goes wrong. And you're standing in this line, and it's a long line, and you're in a hurry. And you are one person from your turn to get checked out. And the person in front of you... It's an older lady, and she reaches into this purse that's the size of, you know, a gunny sack, and she pulls out her envelope full of coupons. (laughs) And the checker 
They ring everything up and the checker starts ringing off the coupons and then they have to start discussing, well, that's not really applicable today. Or like, and they, get, they, get, they should call the manager because she wants 22 cents off a can of something and they've got to call the manager. And all the while the line is getting longer and longer and longer and you are getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And here's how you know. Your chest begins to tense up. You feel, that's my first sign. We learned that in track. Identify your, when you're getting angry. My first thing I feel is I feel tight in my chest. Your jaw maybe starts to clench. Your mind is thinking of all the things you want to say to the lady and the checker. Your hand is doing this on the belt. You know? Because your stuff is in a basket. You don't even need to have a cart. And you're just like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, right? Your frustration is rising. You want to say something to get them moving like, I'll pay the 22 cents. It doesn't pay for the manager. I'll pay your whole bill. Just check out. I need to go. You just want to get through the line. But you don't say anything because you are supposed to be loving and kind and patient because you are a Christian. You're supposed to be. You are supposed to be like Jesus, one of his followers. So you hold it in, and eventually you do get through the line, and you move on to dinner. And this, the chicken's cold. The potato wedges, when they get cold, they're really nasty. But you eat them, say, shut up, kids, and just eat them. <laughs> and you go on to, and you all know what I'm talking about. And you go on to your evening activities. Now, does that sound familiar? Yeah? Didn't take a lot of right brain imagination there. Your left brain could process it just fine. Now, here's where I need to really engage your right brain. I want you to imagine something else with me this morning. This, this morning, You have the exact same day. Same difficulty at work. Same requirements of the evening. Same one hour to get food. Get through the line. Get home. And you go in the exact same checkout line. Same person with the coupons. But this time you're in line. You're in the exact same spot. Everything's the same. And something, though, is different. You aren't feeling, feeling angry. Your chest isn't tightening. The same things are happening. They're arguing over 22 cents. But for some reason, your, your chest isn't getting tight. Your mind isn't thinking about you, what you, quote, wish you could say. Your hand isn't tapping on the conveyor belt. You're just holding your basket. What could make that difference? What could make any of us go from the first situation to the second? Or maybe this, what would you be willing to pay to go from the first situation to the second? What could possibly make the difference? There's one thing, and I think one thing only. Growing in Christ-likeness. You see, Jesus is like the second situation. And he wants us to become like him. You see, one of the five God-given purposes of our church is to be an avenue through which the people that he includes in our family are being transformed from the inside out, the feeling side to the activity side, out, formed in Christ-likeness. 
You see, growing in Christ's likeness is all about becoming like Jesus on the inside. Real change that affects the outside. Now, one of the very last things that Jesus said to his church was that they are to go and make disciples. The church is to go into all the world and make Christian disciples. And I think that just maybe we have misunderstood this a bit. I think at least in our culture, we have the idea that what Jesus was saying and what discipleship is, has primarily to do, be focused upon, transferring of information from one person to another person. People helping other people learn information about God and the Bible. And I think that's our primary focus. Now, information is good, and it's surely part of the process. But when Jesus was telling his church to disciple people for him, what he was intending was for the church to help people become like himself. He's saying, help people become like me. That's discipleship. That's what he had modeled. See, he had spent three years with 12 men. And what had he done? He had given them some information, but that wasn't the most important thing he did. He spent three years with 12 men molding and shaping them so they would become like him. He was the discipler. They were the disciples. His disciple, a disciple is one who follows and becomes like their discipler, like, or a word we might know better, like their mentor. We, as Jesus' church, have been included in this task of helping people become like Jesus, helping them grow in Christ's likeness. We're not just here to entertain people. We're not just here to pass out information. We're not just here to make people feel good about themselves. We're not just here to meet people's needs. We are here to help people become more like Jesus on the inside. It's a tragedy in a church when a person can be part of a church, live in that church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and they're just as angry, they're just as mean-spirited, they're just as as difficult as they were when they came in. That just says they're part of of religion, but they've not really become like Jesus on the inside. That they're still the exact same person in the checkout line that they were 20 years ago. I always think of this, when the, when the glass gets jiggled, what comes out? What comes out should be different today than it was 20 years ago if you've been walking with Jesus. That's what discipleship is all about. That's growing in likeness. We are supposed to change on the inside. You see, friends, the Apostle Paul really understood this. And we see this in the letter that he wrote to the church, to the Christians in Colossae. He understood that the goal of discipleship wasn't simply information transfer, although that is part of it, but it was also Christian character transformation. So grab your Bibles and look at this with me. I'm going to, I want you to turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. And I want to read verses 9 through 14 of Colossians, chapter 1. And I'm going to read it out of a little different translation this morning than normal. One of, one of my favorites, the New Living Translation, just because it so clearly says what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate. The New Living Translation is what I'm going to read. So if you're firing it up on your iPad there or your phone, um, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. 
And I want you to hear, I'm going to review it when we're done, but hear what he's really saying. Some, so many times we think we believe what God is saying that we don't actually hear what he's saying. Hear what he's saying today. Here's, it's a prayer. He's praying, him and Timothy. Verse 9, Colossians chapter 1. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need in the checkout line. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave us our sins. This is a prayer that Paul and Timothy were praying for the Christians at Colossae. They had been, well, look what he says at the end. The reason I included those last couple of verses is to say where they came from. He said they had been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God, verse 13. And they are now are free from the bondage, bondage and limitations of sin. So they're free to become something different than they were. They're not chained anymore. Now they can become, verse 14. And we find what Paul, what Paul's prayer for is desire for them is this. It's transformation. Now they will dwell in this as not, transformation for them as they now dwell, he says, in this stable and unshakable kingdom of God. Look at what he prays. He prays, first of all, for, he says, knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. But then verse 10 says, then or so that, he prays, give them knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding so that or then, you, the, the, the way that you live will change. You will produce, he says, the way we know it will change is you will produce spiritual fruit. And we know from Paul, from the book of Galatians, when he's talking about spiritual fruit, he's talking about a quality of inner character that he defines as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All those things that the second story in the, in the checkout line would reveal. That's transformation into Christ's likeness. But then he goes on to pray. He prays that they would now grow to know God better. That's experiential. That's, it's relational. That's, you relate, you live in a relationship with God so you can become like God revealed in Jesus. Then verse 11, he says, we also pray that they'd be strengthened with power, and that's Holy Spirit power, Strengthen with power, why? So you will have endurance and patience and may be filled with joy. Friends, that's transformation in Christ's likeness. Paul's goal in praying for them is, yeah, yes, they'll get some information, but it's all about transformation in Christ's likeness. Listen, friends, that's changing who you are as you stand in the checkout line. This is the key. Transformation to Christ's likeness. It's not about forced love and patience. And so many of us misunderstand this. 
It's not about external forced love and patience. That was the person in the first line who they didn't do anything wrong. They were boiling on the inside, but forced love and patience caused them to not react, not say, and that's a good and appropriate. But God wants to transform us so that doesn't even happen. That it's not forced love and patience, but character transformation so that love and patience and all spiritual fruit become who you really are on the inside. You actually feel that way. You don't fake it. You actually feel spirit fruit inside of you. Love and joy and peace. You actually feel those in the checkout line instead of forcing external conformity to some kind of idea of what Christianity is. Christ's character becomes your character. And the way I like to think of it is this. You feel like Jesus. You don't have to fake like Jesus. That's transformation in Christ's likeness. You feel like Jesus. You do not have to fake like Jesus. Now I'll admit, early on in your Christian life, there's a lot of faking like Jesus that goes on. Because you're brand new at this thing. And transformation, you've been set free. There's a whole lot of growing that has to take place. And it's, it's right to, it would not have been right to say, I don't feel like being kind, so tell the old lady off in the line in front of you and kick her and get her out of your way. No, that wouldn't be wrong. That would be wrong. But the goal of transformation into Christ-likeness is you actually change on the inside. So you stop seething like a boiling pot on the inside. Friends, that's Christian discipleship. And that's why we commit ourselves in partnership with God to helping each other grow in Christ's likeness. This is why we have the structure that we do at Portview. For our kids, we have a plan to educate, but also to form them spiritually so they become like Jesus on the inside not just externally conformed to religious rules. And the reason why so many kids have walked away from their faith for so many years is we focus on conformity to religious rules. How do you do your hair? How do you, you know, what little activities, what people you hang around with? All these external conformity issues that have nothing to do with the heart. Here's the deal. Change the heart and all that stuff will happen. But force confirmation on the outside and all you'll have is a seething pot that will boil over and the second they have a chance to run, they will run for the hills. So we work on changing the heart. This is why we'll be launching our home point ministry that we've been in the process of for a couple of years. Our home point ministry in just a few months, which is a resource that will help every parent appropriately disciple their children at each developmental stage. And we're so excited about that starting. You're going to hear more about that in the future. For that's for our kids. For our adults, we understand that we all need to grow. And many of us, in order to grow, hear me today, especially if it came to Christ later, but not even. If you were raised in a home that didn't really understand this, all of us probably have a bunch of unlearning to do before we can really start to learn and grow and develop. That's why in addition to our Sunday services... Um, we have established a, a bunch of things, but two primary things, Trek and the Apprenticeship Experience, which we call the Good and Beautiful God series, Trek and the Apprenticeship Experience as the foundational building blocks of our adult discipleship plan. We have learned, and we'll explain this in a minute, we have learned that character change occurs indirectly. You've heard me say this maybe a few times. Character change occurs indirectly. 
that if we change certain key things in our lives, then transformation into Christ-likeness will occur as a result. That we can't just attack it as saying, become like Jesus, because that becomes external. We have to change certain key things in our lives. As we change those, the result is we're transformed into Christ-likeness. And that's last that we're doing. It's working. So I'm going to actually ask my, my um, apprenticeship experience people that are in there with me to tell me what's the top, the first one up here. Narrative. Narrative. Narrative means, narrative means story. That you all live, we all live our lives based on stories. The way we think about life is we turn everything into a story. If I'm going to ask you to remember what happened at the grocery store in the checkout line, the way you're going to tell me it is in your mind, you're going to rehearse a story that happened. You're going to look back in your memory and you're going to hear, you're going to see a story and you're going to tell me about the story of what happened. So I was basically feeding you a story. What we do in all of our lives, how we think of theology, how we think of God, all has to do with our brain processes information. It turns it into stories. Well, here's the problem. The stories that we have are usually wrong. Matter of fact, the stories that you have about God, even if you say read the Bible, if you've not really read it and looked at, does your narrative, your, your narrative line up with the Bible narrative? Oftentimes you will read your narrative as a grid work. You'll read through their grid work and see the Bible and you'll think it says what it doesn't really say. And so we want to challenge those narratives and say, what does the Bible really say about things? So we have programs like the Good and Beautiful God series, the Apprenticeship Experience, and Trek that are both designed on purpose to work on your narrative or your story. And we look at it this way. Their purpose is to deconstruct what you think that may be wrong. You may find out there's things that are right, but often because of how we're raised, we learn things that are wrong in wrong ways, and that then applies, we apply that to God and to our spiritual lives, and we really come up with a wrong idea of what God wants. So we start at the top, our stories are wrong. So we have to rewrite our stories. We have to say, this is what I believe, but this is what the Bible says. And so we work on changing our stories. That takes work. In track, it takes going through a 25-week process of going back and week by week, Process, or step by step, going into our lives and say, what do I really believe about my life? What's really true, but what do I really believe? Why do I believe it? Does I have a, a very abusive home, and because of that abusive home, I've had wrong beliefs, so now I'm incredibly rigid and strict, and I think God is incredibly rigid and strict, and the reason I believe that is not because God's incredibly rigid and strict, but because my parents were incredibly rigid and strict, and I read that onto God. I placed it onto God. So we spend time in, in the good and beautiful God, nine months, we talk about our narratives. What do we believe? And we, it's not a short process. We deconstruct and then we reconstruct. So that's the first part. So that takes effort. And remember, discipleship takes effort. You, if you're stuck, you're the same person you were. If I asked your family, are you significantly different now than you were 10 years ago? And they go, same exact person. I'm saying it's the reason why. Not because God doesn't love you, but because you're not spending time doing what you need to do to grow in likeness. So, narrative is first. We need to change what we believe. Make sure it lines up with God. The second thing is, where's my, my spiritual exercises? Spiritual exercises. Spiritual exercises or spiritual disciplines are simply the way that we give God an opportunity to have access into our lives. So, spiritual exercise. Church is a spiritual exercise. 
You came to church today. This is a historical spiritual exercise. In this spiritual exercise were many types of spiritual exercise. One spiritual exercise is worship. It's a historical spiritual exercise. Another spiritual exercise is looking into the word of God. Memorizing scripture, all spiritual exercising. Prayer is a spiritual exercise. Fasting, solitude, generosity, all kinds of different things are spiritual exercises. They're designed historically by Christians to help us get in a place not to please God. What we forget or we do that's wrong so often is we think, oh, I read my Bible because I'm making God happy. Or God thinks I'm better because I fast. Or God thinks I'm better because I pray or I'm making God happy with me. Baloney. God could never be happier with you than he is right now. You're not changing his love for you. What's happening is you're opening up your life so that God can access. And spiritual exercises are designed all different ways so that they all access a different part of your life. One of the spiritual exercises I've been doing lately, and I referred to it a little bit here, is trying to engage through different things, even with art, engage my right brain. Because I'm a left brain guy. You know what I'm learning as I'm doing exercises engaging my right brain? I actually feel. There's a, so I won't say who, there's a person around who makes a joke and says about themselves, I think I had a feeling. Um, a lot of us guys, German guys, you know what? We don't, we, we've been taught not to feel. Matter of fact, there's all kinds of Christian books that are crazy that talk about how bad emotions are. No, crazy emotions are no good. But God gave us emotions. We're supposed to feel. We should really feel love. In that checkout line, I should actually feel love and compassion for that lady. Maybe to the point that I actually say, I'd like to pay your bill. One of our people in our apprenticeship experience, in the exact same situation, in a checkout line, just shared with us two weeks ago on Wednesday night, how they were in the exact same situation, the Spirit spoke to them, and they paid the person's bill in front of them because their card wouldn't work. And they didn't even know how much the bill was. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I committed to? It was a spiritual exercise that week of doing acts of kindness to people, and what happened is, it opens your heart up to the activity of God. So you have, you change your narratives, you engage in spiritual exercises that open your heart up so God can access in your life. And then what do you do here? Community. You need community. You need community. There's a key to the community though. It's community, it's other people who want to grow the way you want to grow. So in your connect groups, you know what? Your connect groups, you should really be doing three things. Belong, grow, serve. Those are the things in small groups. Belong, grow, serve. Growing is people together saying, we want to grow in Christ's likeness. Not growing. You can also want to grow in how to garden. That's fine. But the real reason of community, if you want to develop in Christ's likeness, is you need to be t- spend time with other people who have a similar passion, who want to grow. Because then you help each other grow. Matter of fact, we had a situation a couple weeks ago in our Wednesday night class where one person was talking about they had they were trying to learn to forgive a situation. We did a spiritual exercise. We we talked about forgiveness and how we had wrong ideas about forgiveness. Then we did a spiritual exercise to help us forgive. And the person said, I'm having a hard time forgiving somebody. So a week later, after this person, one of the people in class committed to, for seven days they wanted to do this exercise. And I said, we want to find out at the end how you're doing with it. At the end of it, another person said, I had forgot. I dismissed the class. I said, stop, wait, we can't leave. What about so-and-so? What happened with the spiritual exercise? And we talked about it. Community was the key. Community 
made sure that as the things we did, we were able to connect with it and work with it and people grow as a result. You cannot live Christianity, growing Christianity, in isolation. It doesn't work. It's not God's plan. God's plan is to be in community. Now, all this empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the triangle of change. If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, this is what you need to engage your life in. And what we try to do as a church is to offer opportunities for this to happen. I try to do this and this always in church and churches this way. So Sundays, there's a little bit of it. But if you're finding out you're still the same person you were 10 years ago, guess what? You're not growing. You need to, you need to apply yourself to the process if you want to grow. So we, we both track and the apprenticeship experience operate by this principle. We deconstruct wrong thinking. We reconstruct right thinking. We um, have uniquely created spiritual disciplines and exercises that help a person op- identify different areas in their lives. And then we do it together as teams. And we say, how is God growing us? And i got to tell you, I am so incredibly proud of so many of you who invested a lot of time, a lot of energy, even resources into your spiritual growth in these ministries. And we welcome everybody to join in. In fact, we're looking for other ways to make these opportunities even available to more people, possibly through online communities and different things. Because we know we can't do, we can do this and this without relationship, but we have to have this. So we're trying to figure out how, just for time restraints, can we help more people um, grow and learn by engaging in their, engaging their narratives, engaging spiritual exercises, all in the sense of community. You see, our goal in this is that we will help everyone structure their lives in such ways that they will continually work on these. Matter of fact, the goal of both of Trek and, and a good and beautiful God community is that you will, at the end, have a life path to walk to say how are these things engaged in my life you will have a life path that you will say and you'll evaluate it regularly it's called a rule of life that we have a, we live by a rule of life not like rules rigid but a path of success would be a better way of saying it that we work at having individuals figure out in their individual life how that will work for them your path won't be my path but it has to include these three things if you want to see spiritual growth you see our goal is that we will help you all be continually realigning our narratives with truth, and sermons do that, but also classes do that, and we'll be participating in spiritual exercises that open us up to God's activity, and you'll connect with other people who want to grow. If you're, an isola- if you're a person who's frustrated, so you isolate, guess what? You won't grow, you'll go backwards. You need all three. That's our three-part growth plan. Now, engage your right brain with me again. As we get near the end here, imagine with me what it will be like. I was going to say what if it would be like, but no, what it will be like as more and more of us invest into our spiritual growth. Stop this idea that says Christianity is about going to church. Christianity is about coming like Jesus. Put energy into that. We'll invest into our spiritual growth and become more and more like Jesus. Imagine when you're not having to hold it in because you want to blow up, but you actually are filled with love inside and peace inside. Imagine what that would be like. Friends, that's a taste of heaven on earth. Imagine with, with me what your life can become. No longer ruled by anger and fear and frustration, but transformed into an inner peace, 
inner joy, inner love that you really feel and experience, not only through external fakeness, but you actually feel change on the inside. That's what life in the kingdom of God offers to us. Transformation into Christ likeness. And we know this change happens indirectly as we apply these principles to our lives. And I'm making this promise as we close. Based on my experience, and based on what I've seen in others' lives, and based on what I see in the Word of God, it works. I'm a different man in the checkout line than I was even five years ago, and what I was ten years ago, and I was thirty years ago. I'm a different man in my house than I was five years ago, and ten years ago, and twenty years ago. I'm different. I'm better And life is so much more enjoyable when you're being transformed into Christ-likeness. Friend, it's a picture of what Jesus offers to us as we engage and live in the good and beautiful kingdom that he offers us. He's inviting us in. He's saying, come along for the ride. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. I tell you what, somebody walked up to me this morning. I, I saw him this morning coming in, and I said, how are you doing? And they said, how are you doing? And I said, and they said it's been a tough trek week. They're in trouble. It's been a tough, tough trek week. I said, yep, but guess what? It's, we're getting better, aren't we? I said, yep, we're getting better. So you know what? My prayer for us as a church is that God will help us. He'll help us so that we will allow him to really change us as we partner with him in growing. That that's my prayer for our church, that God will help us to allow us to really change us. Because I have to partner with it as we partner with him in growing. Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer. Jesus, our prayer today is that you would make us more like you. You came as one of us, so we can see how all of us should be. The goal we're aiming at. And Lord, on behalf of this church family, we open up our lives to transformation. No matter how old we are or how young we are, We open up our lives to transformation. Lord, we know life in your kingdom, where we become more and more like Jesus, is the best life, the most fulfilling life, the most enjoyable life. And so, God, we we invite you to lead us, to guide us, and to shape us as we partner with you in becoming more like Jesus. God, may it be said of the church at Portview that, Lord, we really look like Jesus. We love our church, but more importantly, we love being conformed to the image of Christ. Lord, help us to gain a picture in our minds of what life in the kingdom could be like. And it's so much better. So, Lord, we give ourselves to you. Lead and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be here and you want to spend some time in prayer. Maybe you would like to be prayed for, anointed with oil and prayed for. I invite you, as we dismiss, to come forward. Pastor Chris will be here to pray with you. 
I challenge you to think about your life. Think about it in light of the triangle of change or some other pictures maybe I'll draw in the future of other ways to look at this. But think about it in light of this. Because as you commit to the Lord, your life and transformation, your life gets better. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Jesus.